With many people still trying to come to terms with the killings in Orlando, Baton Rouge, Falcon Heights, and Dallas, the conversations around gun control, terrorism, racial profiling, and police tactics are front and center. But one element missing from these conversations is concrete data. If we don't know how often shooting deaths like these occur, we can't even start to know the right ways to address them. For this week's Please Explain, we are talking about the data behind police shooting and gun deaths in this country. And joining me are Jamiles Lardy. He's a reporter for The Guardian U.S. and part of the project The Counted, which tracks the number of people killed by law enforcement in 2015 and 16. And Ben Castleman, senior editor and um, chief economics writer at 538.com. The site is currently running a series called Gun Deaths in America. James and Ben. Jamiles and Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks for having now, us. Now, if you, uh, we want you, our audience, to join in the conversation. If you have questions and discussion and want to talk about violence, police violence, shootings, gun deaths, you can call us at 212-433-9692. Write to us at our show page at wnyc.org slash Lopate or on Facebook and Twitter where our handle is at Leonard Lopate. So... Let me just sort of set this up. One of you, Jamiles, your project is about specifically about police shootings and deaths. Yeah, that's exactly right. James, your story, uh, Ben, your story, your your investigation is about all gun deaths. That's right. And police shootings, you know, a lot of people might say, well, why do we need you at The Guardian to study uh, the number of police shootings, surely the government must keep track of this. But that's not right. Right. So that was one of the um, the things that emerged out of, um, you know, the unrest in Ferguson um, several years ago now was sort of this realization um, in the media and among academics and among activists that there was no um, reliable source of information on the number of people be- being killed by the police every year. So you, what you did have were a few um, sort of open source, um, you know, crowdsourced, uh, volunteer-driven databases like Killed by Police and Fatal Encounters, um, which were doing a good job of aggregating news stories about uh, police killings. Um, you know, but at the same time, it's like Wikipedia in the sense that anyone can contribute to it. You know, the editing happens when it happens. If it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. Um, and it's difficult as, you know, maybe a legislator uh, to to go in with, with those as your numbers and to say, well, this is a crisis and this is something that we need to deal with. Um, so, you know, we at The Guardian saw it as an opportunity to fill this kind of void of information uh, that wasn't available. And then, you know, once you have that data, you have the ability to dig deeper into it and try to pull out some trends and try to um, sort of elaborate on some of the things that are going on. Now, Loretta Lynch, the attorney general, has said she wants the federal government to start doing this in a systemic or or orderly way. But in the meantime, we have your work. And give us, before we start to dig into what the data means, how many people are killed every year by the police in the United States? So the number is, for 2015, was, you know, over 1,000 people. Um, and the number right now, um, I think we're, we're, it's 599 for 2016, so it'll probably be 600 before the day is through um, or in excess of that. So, you know, you're talking about an average of about three people a day. And is that, um, 
are they all gun deaths or is it some, I mean like Eric Garner was not a gun, was not a gun death but but almost all of them are police shootings right? the vast majority are police shootings yeah so when we uh, started working on the database um, you know it was important to us that we not just talk about police shootings because while they represent sort of you know the the biggest percentage of these um these deaths at the hands of police. Um, at the same time, you know, you look at some of the higher profile cases, um, you know, be it Eric Garner in Staten Island or Natasha McKenna, um, you know, even Sandra Bland, who's not in our database, but you, you had um, a lot of high profile deaths in police custody, um, Freddie Gray, that, you know, wouldn't have been captured if we just focused on shooting. So right. we thought it was important to try to sort of get the full scale of, of police-related death. Okay. So, so Jamal's data suggests about 1,000 uh, civilian deaths at the hand of police every year. Ben, your data is, is much broader. It's all, it's all gun deaths. And uh, does the government keep track of that? Or why, why did we need 538 to, uh, to look into that? So the, the government does keep track of it. Um, through a number of different sources that don't always agree with each other and, of course, that are never perfect. Um, but we certainly have much better numbers on that than we do on police shootings. Um, the, the main numbers that we used come from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. They actually aggregate it at the level of individual death certificates that get signed by medical examiners and coroners or, or um, funeral home directors in the case of nonviolent deaths. And we sort of know... We capture pretty much all gun deaths, right? In general, if you die, there's going to be a death certificate. If you died from a gun, we're probably going to be able to tell that you died from a gun. So we're going to be able to get a, a pretty comprehensive number, and that number is is north of 33,000 a year, 33,600 okay. so, a year. So let's just situate the, the audience here. So it's 33,000 gun deaths. Yeah. It's 1,000 police-initiated deaths, of which most of them, but not all of them, uh, are gun deaths. Um, let's talk, uh, Ben, about who, how, how are people dying by, by guns? I mean, right. wh wh who's, who's getting killed and, and under what circumstances? So, I mean, that, that's very much sort of where we started this whole, this whole process was we know that this sort of number of 33,000, but how do they die and, and who are they? And the answer is, is really there, there are a set of discrete problems that really need to be thought of separately. So nearly two-thirds of those deaths, more than 20,000 a year, are suicides. Wow. So of the 33,000 gun deaths in this country every year, two-thirds, 20,000 are suicides. That's exactly right, wow. and, and which is a striking number. And, you know, I think some, I, I sometimes then hear people say to me, well, then sort of we can set those aside. Right. You know, that's a different problem. I think it is a different problem, but it's a very significant problem because we know that when people try to commit suicide with a gun, they're much more likely to be successful. Right. It's much easier to kill yourself impulsively with a gun than it is to take a bunch of pills. Or, and we know or, that 70 70 percent of people who who attempt suicide and survive never try again. So if you can make it either prevent somebody from attempting suicide, but also hopefully have them protected in a less lethal way, the chances are they're going to survive and they are going to not try again. They're going to hopefully get help or at least, you know, recover from that moment. And so there's a really important question there about how do we how do we help people not not commit suicide with guns. Not okay, so, with guns. so we have 20,000 suicides. That's right. 
talk about the other 13,000. Who are those people? So the vast majority of those other deaths are homicides. You have a few accidents. We hear a lot about accidents, but that's really a relatively small number. What we're mostly talking about here is is homicide. It's overwhelmingly male. That's actually true on both suicide and homicide, about 85% male. Uh, and it falls into a few categories, but by far the largest is sort of what we can generally think of as urban street violence of some kind or another. Some of that is drug-related, some of that is gang-related, but but a lot of it is is just sort of this sort of larger category of disputes in, in cities, and it's mostly among and between young men. Um, both the, the victims and the perpetrators are sort of heavily the same group of people who are, are in arguments uh, on the street, and it, it's not, by and large, the kind of deaths that we hear the most about. It's mostly not... Orlando shootings. It's mostly not terrorism and mass shootings. Um, and I mean, statistically, right, it's, it's primarily not police, although that's a, a large and important category. Um, this is Jeffrey Tubin, uh, substituting for Leonard Lope. Today, we're discussing how data and statistics about gun deaths are tracked in the United States. Our guests are Jamiles Lardy of The Guardian and Ben Castleman of 538. Um, Jamiles, so you, were, you have identified roughly a thousand uh civilian deaths at the hand of the police so the full number was 1147 uh in 2015 1147 who are they who are these people who died at the at the hands of the police um well so if we're talking in raw numbers um then you're talking about about almost 600 white people um about 300 black and about 200 Hispanic and Latino. What about male, female? Um, you're about 95% male. 95, um, yeah. And maybe in excess of that, actually, yeah. And where are where do these deaths take place? I mean, what, you know, in big cities, in small cities, yeah, suburbs? Yeah, I, I would towns. say that, um, you know, having a chance to look geographically at both police death and um, homicide in general, um, police death seems to be less concentrated um, and sort of more scattered. Um, so, you know, often these are, I uh, maybe hesitate to use the, the phrase, but one-off incidents. A, a department will have one uh, police shooting um, in a year. Many small departments, sheriff's departments will have something like that, one or two. Um, so it, it, it tends to be quite scattered. And if you look at major cities, um, some do struggle with um, with this issue. Uh, Los Angeles had, I, I believe, 10 last year, maybe more. Um, but, you know, a lot of big cities don't. It was well into the summer before Philadelphia had an officer-involved shooting last year. And um, I, I guess when I was looking at your data, I was somewhat surprised that so much was not in cities, that, that, that the idea of cops shooting individuals, maybe it's because we have you know, focused so much attention on Chicago and, and, and other familiar stories. But in fact, it, it is, as you say, pretty spread out around the country. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, you know, it, there, there is no uh, good correlation um, that, that you can find to say, well, where are police shootings going to happen um, in terms of what the demographics are, um, big city, small town. It's, it's very hard to predict where there's going to be police violence. And the best predictor is, is often, um, you know, somewhat... Uh, it's, it often will have to do more with just how the police department uh, conducts itself. You know, what processes has that department been through in terms of um, dealing with the Justice Department and refining their policies, um, being transparent about their use of force, um, what types of trainings they're engaged in. 
And I, I think but, that speaks in, in many ways to sort of the power of this kind of data-driven approach, both what The Guardian has done and, and, and what we've done here, which, which is highlighting both the ways that the narrative around violence and police violence included is right, but also often how it's wrong. I mean, I think a lot of people are struck by that two-thirds suicide number. A right. lot of people assume that police shootings uh, are primarily a problem in large cities. Um, people assume that, you know, homicide, you know, fits into certain categories. It, I, I think a lot of people assume domestic violence is a larger set of, of problems than it is. So I think that this is this is one of the places where we can look at this and then start to identify kind of what the real problems are. Then you have the power to take data like the Guardians and say, well, can we correlate this with police training? Can we correlate this with the race of the police officers? Right? Are there are there patterns, and then we can look for solutions. Well, l- let me go back to Jamiles about um, sort of the, the the big question about police shootings is, are they justified? And you know the, the the Black Lives Matter movement was basically born as a form of protest against uh, unjustified shootings of African Americans by the police. Can you, through your data analysis of the 1147 uh, police killings that you found, do you have any way of judging how many of those should not have taken place? Well, that's difficult to say, right, because it's, it's certainly subjective um, and there's going to be, you know, a lot of... But el- I'm, I, I, I'm going to ask you anyway. Sure. No, we can't say that. I mean, what we, what we are able to say um, in an investigation we did late last year is that the investigations into police death often happen, um, they're either conducted by the department where it occurred um, or the decision is made by a district attorney or a prosecutor in the same jurisdiction. So, you know, when you think about how our legal system is set up, you know, generally speaking, the police arrest people um, and then they go into, you know, the prosecutorial side of things. And, um, you know, the police and prosecutors work very closely with each other. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, when you don't have independent investigators, and when you don't have independent, you know, arbiters of was this justified or was this not, um, I, I think you have to begin to question. You know, I could I could give you the raw number on the number that are justified and not justified from a legal standpoint. Well, what is that number? Um, it's minimal. There's been one officer in 2015 who was convicted of a crime um, for a shoot for for a bad shooting for a uh, bad shooting. Oh, I see. Specifically, out of 1,147 deaths. Well, not all of those were shootings, right? But but, but uh, out of out of the 983 that were shootings, um, 482 of those, so about roughly half, have been you know sort of finished the investigation, finished that process. Um, Twenty officers out of that group have been either charged with the crime or reprimanded in some way, fired. Um, you know, so you're talking about four percent of the cases where it's been resolved. Did it in, in did it involve any type of charges against the officer? Ben, let me go back to you and your study for 538 of all shootings yep. in, in the United States. So 20,000 of the 33,000 are suicides. 13,000 are, um, uh, are no, homicides. Ha- yeah, homicides. homicides. Yeah. Uh, one of the, the the statistics that's often bandied about, I don't know, tell me if if it's true or not, is that 75% of murder victims know the person who killed them. Uh, often it's a domestic violence setting, but um, is that statistic 
borne out by um, what you saw? Yeah, I mean, so broadly speaking, yes. Um, the the CDC data that we referred to has no information on who the perpetrator was. And so this is when I said wow. earlier we have to sort of there's, – there's a patchwork of data you have to put together. But the FBI does have data that, that looks at this. And, and yeah, absolutely, the, the vast majority of these are cases where there's some relationship, right, on, on – in terms of when, when we look at domestic violence, um, about 700 women a year are killed – uh, in domestic violence incidents by with guns. partners with guns specifically, um, you know that's the the substantial majority of um, of women homicide victims are are killed by somebody who's an intimate partner or another family member. Um, now, but I, 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 I let me just stop you there. Yeah. So seven hundred in the whole country is that? I, I mean, obviously one is too many. But is that more than you would expect? Less than you would expect? Well, what, so what? I think what this speaks to is. Well, we set out on this project saying, how are we going to bring down that 33,000 number? And one of the things that's clear there is— You, you at 538 yeah. really have a broad idea of your mandate. That's right. we're, we're you're you're responsible it, right. for reducing gun violence Check in back at the end of the year and see if we've succeeded. <laughs> okay, well, good. Um, uh, no, but, but what, what do we understand about how we can do this? Right. And I think one thing that's really important to understand is that there are some categories here that are much larger than others. You could eliminate— every domestic violence incident, and the 33,000 number would actually still be basically 33,000, right? If you could make a significant dent on suicide, you would have a much larger impact on the numbers. If you could have a significant impact on urban gun violence, it would be much more significant. And I think that's something that's really important to understand on this urban gun violence problem. It gets very little attention. When it does get attention, it's usually in this sort of terrible rhetoric of black-on-black violence, which is something that we've heard a lot about this week in the Republican convention, um, without anybody making any serious efforts, especially in the sort of public sphere. This is different, I think, at the individual mayor level, but without making much effort to actually look at what can be done to address this. And and we can, once we drill down on that, you can actually identify policies that can make a difference here. Um, We are discussing how data and statistics about gun deaths are tracked in the United States on this week's Please Explain. My guests are Jamiles Lardy of The Guardian of the U.S. and Ben Castleman of 538.com. We'll hear more from them after a break. We'd also like to take your calls. If you have a question about the numbers behind gun violence and police shootings, please give us a call at... 212-433-9692. 212-433-9692. You can also write to us on our show page at wnyc.org slash Lopate or tweet to us at Leonard Lopate. I'm Jeffrey Tubin and today for Leonard Lopate, this is WNYC and WNYC.org. I'm speaking with Jamiles Lardy of The Guardian and Ben Castleman of 538 about the data underlying uh, gun, gun violence uh, in the United States. Now, as, I, as I'm sure you both know, a new study by Roland Fryer Jr., a professor of economics at Harvard, found that, there wa- that, wa- that while there was a big racial disparity, disparity in police use of force around the country, there was essentially no racial bias in police shootings. So bias in police use of force, but not bias in actual shootings. Jamiles, is that consistent with what you've seen? What's your reaction to that uh, number, that, that, that conclusion that, that uh, Professor Fryer has come up with? So, I mean, the first thing I would say is that that, that conclusion came from looking at the data in, in essentially one city. Um, in Which, Houston, what city? Houston. Houston. 
Uh, so, you know, I question the broad applicability of that. And, um, you know, but looking at the data that we've seen, you know, through the counted, we're not keeping track of every police interaction. So, you know, I wouldn't go so far as to say that we can match up what we found in terms of fatal shootings to interactions and and declare that, you know, that that we can explain what that relationship is and, and what the numbers are. But, you know, more more broadly speaking, what I can tell you is that people that black people are more likely to be shot when they're unarmed than white people. About when they are unarmed. Now, if I could ask you just to repeat uh, you said earlier, 1,147 police uh, shootings uh, resulting in d- – 1,147 deaths at the hands of police in in 2015. What was the racial breakdown of the people who died at the hands of the police? So, again, in, in raw numbers, you had 581 white people, 306 black, um, 195 Hispanic Latino, 13 Native American – 24 um, Asian or Pacific Islander, and then 27 who we weren't able to identify. Uh, um, but if you if you then you know convert that into per capita rates, you know what you find is that black people were um, substantially more likely to be involved in these fatal incidents. Right. So they are. I mean, doing in very rough numbers, 30 percent of the victims, but they're only 10 percent of the population. Roughly, yeah. Okay. Um, what. Does, what about your data? Um, do, are are, are African-Americans disproportionately victims of homicide generally across the country? So, I mean, absolutely. Um, if you look at the, the overall rate of uh, gun homicide in this country, it's about four per 100,000 people. If you look about at young black men specifically, 15 to 34, it's north of 70. Right. So, so the wait, numbers so are, say that say so that again. Four, That's out of amazing. every hundred thousand people in the U.S., about four will die uh, by a gun homicide in any given year. Um, if you look specifically at young black men, fifteen to thirty-four, um, for every hundred thousand people in that category, more than seventy will die die of, of a gun homicide. So it's 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 you know what, it's in order it, of magnitude times higher. higher. It, it's, yeah. it's absolutely. So I mean that that's definitely true. And if you look at um, if, if you look at the at gun homicide, you know, in cities, it certainly heavily uh, heavily involves young black men. It heavily involves, but on on both, it should be said on on the victim side and on the perpetrator side, we're talking about. You yeah, know, well, this is something we heard at the Republican convention. Yeah, but a lot, I, I that, think that's, that, that that you know, why why are we blaming the police when black on black crime? is is the cause of most of these deaths. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's, that's a misreading of the situation on a number of levels. Um, so. I mean, first of all, we should be worrying about police shootings as its own category because we empower police to police our cities and to carry guns and to use lethal violence when necessary. And so holding that, holding police to a standard, I think, is something that is, is necessary on its own. Um, we live in a segregated country. Most white people um, who die of gun violence are shot by other white people. Um, you know, this is sort of a reflection of the the segregated society that we live in. But then I think if we want to have a serious conversation about the ways that we can address gun violence in cities, what you have to recognize is it's not really a problem of young black men. It is a problem of very specific networks. And there's some interesting research that's come out of 
out of Yale, a sociologist there called Andrew, named uh, Andrew Papakristos, who has tracked these networks of violence where you're talking about... What, what is a network of violence? So what he's looked at is he's, he's looked at people who were victims of violence, and, and he's really, he emphasizes he's looking at victimization and trying to understand victimization rather than understanding perpetrators, right? But to look at, at who the people are who are victims, to look at who they have associated with, who they've been arrested with, um, who their family are, who their friends are, and to sort of trace outward from that a, a it's an epidemiological approach, right? It's thinking about this as, as a, as a uh, disease, right, of violence. And if you look at people who are in those networks, then the, the rate of violence there is extraordinarily high. But the corollary to that is that if you are a young black man living in New York City or in New Orleans or in St. Louis and you're not, you haven't been sort of drawn into that network, then your risk of, of dying through violence or of committing violence is really equivalent to other people in that city. So we're not talking about a problem of young black men or young white men or any other group. We're talking about networks of violence, individual groups that are, in some cases it's a formal gang, in some cases it's you know friend groups. But those are the groups that we need to look at, not this sort of broader category by, by race or by age or by anything else. Let's take some calls. Uh, we are at 212-433-9692. Um, can we call up Tom uh, in Brooklyn? He has a question. Hi, thanks very much for taking my call. Uh, I'm curious to know what uh, fraction of gun deaths involve, uh, quote, assault weapons or assault rifles, as the media call them. Ben, wh wh why don't you start with that? Um, obviously, one of the, uh, you know, the, the, the mass shootings that we have become so sadly familiar yeah. with often involve um, assault weapons, and, and assault weapons were banned uh, for a time in the, in the 1990s. But how big an issue are they when it comes to the overall murder rate in the country? Yeah, I mean, very small is the answer. Um, getting a hard number on that is difficult because we have a real problem with defining uh, assault weapon. And this is one of the problems that came up with the assault weapons ban, and it's something that's come up repeatedly ever since. But the vast majority of gun deaths, uh, and particularly gun homicides, involve handguns. Uh, if you look at what's happening in, in urban violence, it's almost all handguns. Nobody's walking around with an AR-15 uh, in, you know, a, a low-income neighborhood in, in, you know, some city in this country. It's, it's handguns. It's mostly cheap handguns. Uh, and these are not weapons that sort of anybody is proposing seriously banning on a federal level. Leslie in Brooklyn, what's your question? Well, I, I may have missed something while I was speaking to the young lady, but I was wondering, um, I hear on the news, well, we see those videos on the news all the time. Um, you know, the stats were, you know, 600 white people are killed by police shootings and 300 black people, right? The, those right. The that statistics. was roughly the statistic that Jamal Right. So why is it, and, and of course, every time we see one of these videos, uh, Detective Harry and all of the commentators on the news are always saying uh, any police representative has nothing to do with race. Race is not an issue. It's just about whatever happened, whatever reasons they come up with. The, the person was a criminal, whether they had a broken taillight, et cetera. I'm wondering, um, so where are all the videos of white people getting shot by police with broken taillights? Like, are white people getting shot by police when they're actually committing a crime, or are they also being shot when they're pulled over for some kind of traffic violation? Well, Leslie, I think when you were speaking to our colleague uh, earlier, you also raised the question of 
how many of the people who were shot by the police were unarmed? Isn't that that that's a question you were interested in? Well, these and, people are and, unarmed. Well, well, but well, let's ask let's ask Jamal's. Who I mean, do do you have any way of determining of the eleven hundred? Uh, deaths at the hands of the police, how many of those people were armed and how many of those people were unarmed? Right. So we do. And then I would sort of walk back and say that, you know, ultimately that determination comes from police records most of the time. It comes from what pr- police tell us. Um, and there is at least anecdotal evidence that that may not always be the case. Um, but from, from in, in other words, police lying about whether people had guns or not. Sure. It's happened. Right. right. Um, but, you know, presuming that those numbers are accurate, we know is that about nine percent of people who are shot by the police are completely and totally unarmed. Um, but and then you have some significant portion um, who have either knives um, or other objects uh, like a blunt instrument or, you know, you find some kind of surprising ones like a lawnmower blade or or. You know, a, a spoon was actually one that officers cited as a as a deadly weapon in, mm. in one incident. No, I, what I, I think it's worth highlighting here, you, you mm. mentioned that the Roland Fryer paper earlier, right. this research, you know, the whole sort of basis of that study was saying we're going to take the set of incidents again, in, specifically in Houston, where an officer might have been justified in using force. And then how often do they actually shoot? And is there a racial uh, bias there? But that, too, is all based on officer reports, right? And so, you know, whether it'll say, you know, if they fled from police, if they resisted arrest, right? These are often subjective questions, and there's certainly some evidence. We don't know in this particular case. But we know in general that there there can be a racial component to that, that, that you may deem somebody a threat uh, who's black and, and wouldn't make that same assumption even with the exact same behavior. Right. Where, well, where and, you draw the line for is this person resisting arrest exactly. or not? Right. Yeah. But—, but the, these, this issue you're both raising now underlines the difficulty of assembling a accurate data set on these questions because the people reporting the data, usually the police, have a vested interest in making the data look a certain way. You don't have an outside uh, controller that can view everything from from an eye in the sky and and tell you what actually happened. Sure. And that's why, I mean, at the very least, I mean, it, you're not going to get perfectly clean data for all the things that, that police do in society. It, it's just not realistic. But at the very least, in police shooting incidents, you can make it so that, um, and several states have, have done this now, um, where there has to be an independent investigator and there has to be a special prosecutor. Um, so, for example, here in New York, we now have a special prosecutor for any time a, an unarmed person is killed by the police. Um, I believe Wisconsin is, was the first state, um, if I'm not mistaken, to uh, require an, an outside investigator for police shooting. So that's a very simple sort of legislative common sense thing that can be done to um, at least improve the quality of our information when people are killed. And that highlights something also. We have limited information on police uh, killings. We have even worse information on non-lethal uses of force and shootings. And this is true not just with the police, but we have good information on homicides by guns. We have much less good information on non-fatal shootings. And there's a lot of evidence if you sort of want to understand the problem, right, the variable of sort of whether somebody happens to die or not is is fairly random at that right. point. And so if we really want to understand the problem, we could we could understand much more 
if we had information on all shootings, regardless of fatality. But we really have a huge data hole there. Let, let me ask you both um, about the, the, the data question. Do you think that the government, state governments, federal government, is getting better about trying to assemble data from which we can uh, draw conclusions about how things should be changed, Miles. Yeah, absolutely. On the police uh, killing side of it, you know, because there's been uh, this Black Lives Matter um, sort of moment in the United States and because there's been all of this discussion in the media and in different places about um, the lack of, of data, um, you know, several months ago you had FBI Director James Comey, uh, you know, saying that he was embarrassed that, you know, the Guardian and the Washington Post had better information or at least as good information on police killings as the FBI did. You know, so uh, the the commitment that's now been made by Comey for the FBI to improve its data set, um, along with the Department of Justice, which is currently piloting a program that would um, track all all police killings, you, you know, is is encouraging. And, and we're sort of at the counted um, and at The Guardian, we're kind of waiting for that Department of Justice data to start coming out. Ben, Ben, what would you like to see in terms of new reporting from the government on on this general subject of gun violence? Yeah, I mean, I think there are a lot of holes. Um, I mean, I think police shootings is an absolutely huge one, and that's something where even if the government improves, frankly, we're going to still need uh, people like The Counted because that's a place where, as, as you said earlier, there's a vested interest there, right? And so we need that check. Um, we don't have good government data on mass shootings. We don't have good government data on terrorism, some of these things that get the most attention, um, defining an accident turns out to be a remarkably difficult, uh, challenging thing, right? At what point is an accident uh, an accident versus a, a homicide? Um, and, and then I think there's a huge issue with the frequency of the data. You know, we the most recent national data that we have is from 2014. Uh, the most recent national data that gets into a little bit more detail than that um, is from 2013. And, and we've had some callers asking about historical trends. Uh, what? How how far back does the does the data go? Yeah, we we have pretty good uh, pretty good data going back. You know, twenty years. We have sort of top line data that's less detailed going back further than that. I actually think the bigger problem is less the historical data than the fresh data. You know, we're hearing now. We heard Trump last night talk about you know this crime wave. We don't have good evidence at this point for whether that's true or not because the data is too out of date. But Donald Trump said it was true. Well, so it's probably not, but it, it could be. <laughs> anyway, thank you both. I've been speaking with James uh, Jamiles Lardy from The Guardian U.S. and Ben Castleman of 538.com. Thank you both for joining us on today's Please Explain. It's a pleasure. Thanks so much. Mm-hmm.